the space shuttle will be built for up to 100 round-trip flights with minimum maintenance. It will reduce the cost of placing cargo and crew in orbit or returning them to Earth to about one-tenth of what it is now. The planned shuttle will be able to carry payloads of more than 12 tons in men and equipment. This capacity offers new freedom to mission planners in selecting and designing experiments. Scientists will be able to go into space and conduct their own work in a shirt sleeve environment without first qualifying as astronauts. With the shuttle for transport, technicians will be able to deliver rather than launch unmanned scientific and technical satellites and probes to place them in widely varying Earth orbits from equatorial to polar. Easter, 1981. Everyone was talking about the space shuttle, but the launch was the last thing on Neely Cairo's mind. For weeks, she had sensed something was out. Mousy Powell, the only psychic Neely trusted, did a reading. Ten seconds after Mousy spread her cards, she said, Neely, move to New York. New York is your destiny. Neely trusted Mousy implicitly, and when she got home, she spoke to Buster Lee. We're moving to New York City, Buster Lee. While I set things up, do you mind staying with your Uncle Brendan in Laurel Canyon for a spell? Buster Lee broke out in a big smile. He liked Los Angeles, and he loved Laurel Canyon. Your tickets will be here tomorrow. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee Presented by Adam Ive The Exiles. Usually, Buster Lee flew himself around the world, but his plane was in the shop at Butler Airfield for routine maintenance. Now, seated aboard Flight 94 to Los Angeles, Beck snoozed on Buster Lee's lap. Wearing Billings brown bucks, sand socks, terracotta chinos, a dark sack coat over a sky blue cardinal, over a Mackinac Navy vest, over a sand-colored button-down shirt and a wristwatch inherited from his late uncle, Buster Lee settled down with Beck for the long flight. Before the feature film, a short documentary about the space shuttle played. NASA is about to embark on the age of practical space flight with the first orbital flights of the space shuttle. Staring at the screen, Buster Lee found it hard to believe he had entered the age of reusable spacecraft. Still, before jetting into the cosmos as though he was on a television show, Buster Lee wondered if we should fix our earthly-bound problems first. In a cocoa and orange flight attendant's uniform, wearing a treacly cologne, a young steward asked Buster Lee where he was staying in California. Craning his neck, the young buck said, Laurel Canyon, have you ever been there? Oh yes, many times, said the steward. It's a blast. Lots of parties and creative types too. 
opening the overhead compartment, the steward removed two blankets, three pillows, two sleeping masks, and handed them to Buster Lee. It's a long flight, and you and your little friend may need these. What's his name? Buster Lee patted back and said, Beck. He's a miniature blue healer. Gently patting the dog's head, the steward said, He's adorbs. Adorbs. Adorbs? It was the first time Buster Lee had heard the expression, but not the last. Adorbs. In spring, Laurel Canyon smelled of eucalyptus. When it rained, wildflowers came to life. A nexus of counterculture activity and attitudes, Laurel Canyon was long home to many artists, bohemians, and musicians. Driving through Laurel Canyon, Buster Lee noted the streets were littered with monkeyish bicycle messengers. As Buster Lee's taxi approached Uncle Brendan's home, he lowered the window and inhaled an aroma that reminded him of the open spice market in Marrakesh. Closing his eyes, Buster Lee was under the spell of Laurel Canyon. A butler named Hollis Wonder opened the car door and escorted Buster Lee and Beck through the large mid-century home to a spacious bedroom. Putting the luggage down and petting Beck, Buster Lee thanked Hollis and tipped him. The house appeared empty. Seeing the glint of lunar light on the surface of the pool, Buster Lee changed into his swimming costume and with Beck at his side, lay belly down on an air mattress and floated aimlessly. When the North Star appeared, five beautiful, if strange, European models appeared. There was Gia, Portia, Karma, Misha, and Max. Their skin was translucent and glistened in a magical way. Never had Buster Lee seen such flawless radiance in one place, at one time. Max and Karma slipped into the pool au naturel. Growing up on a commune, Buster Lee was unruffled. Her dainty toes in the water and periodically sipping a Bellini, Gia, the bewitching 19-year-old, said, To think the space shuttle will be flying soon. It reminds me of the line from that movie. What was it? Why have the moon when we can have the stars? Buster Lee gingerly paddled over. Welcoming him, Gia said, You must be Brandon's nephew Buster Lee, the photojournalist. I've heard of you. In fact, every young person in Europe admires you. Is that Beck? Buster Lee nodded and said, Who are you? I'm Gia. These are my friends from Europe. We are models, like modern-day nomads. Portia's daddy is an ambassador. Dressed in a formality seen only in California, Uncle Brendan appeared poolside. On his arm was Britta, a tired-looking 55-year-old former model. Ah, Buster Lee, said Brendan. Welcome to Laurel Canyon. This is my companion, Britta. I see you've met my friends from Munich. Max, Misha, Portia, on clarinet is Karma, and Gia you've already met. You're probably wondering why we're all dressed up. 
We're going to an industry show tonight at the Chandler Center. Unless you dine out, Hollis, the butler, will make dinner. Are you still vegetarian? Hollis tried to light the grill, but it wouldn't catch. Max, the youngest of the models, tried to start the grill too, but no luck. Buster Lee picked up the propane tank and looking at Hollis said, It's empty. Hollis said, I'll make a salad with 48 ingredients. 20 minutes later, the model sat down and Hollis wheeled out an enormous meal. On the menu that night were salad and some kind of hors d'oeuvres, the likes of which Buster Lee had never seen. Have you tried Spanish before? said Portia. Buster Lee shook his head. You're going to love it. Try this. It's called a tortilla. While munching on the crunchy chip, Buster Lee noticed the top of the salad was covered with thin lemon slices. Citrus, for those old enough to know, was the go-to stay slim secret of many an actor or model in 1981. As they ate, with the focus of Franciscan monks, Buster Lee could hear the distant sound of acoustic guitars. Looking skyward, Gia pointed at the moon and said, It's beautiful tonight. I wonder if we really went there. After dinner, a Kalian was passed around. Max said the Germans called it a rubble bubble because it made you feel all silly. Not that worldly, Buster Lee politely declined and excused himself. At midnight, everyone clambered to their quarters and fell asleep. At breakfast with Buster Lee and Beck, Uncle Brendan read Cashbox, a popular magazine about the music business. Britta, a stoic if there ever was one, joined them but said nothing. The models were nowhere to be seen. Brendan put down the magazine and tapping his left elbow with his right index finger, looked at Buster Lee and said, You know what everyone is talking about these days? Buster Lee shrugged. Standing up, Brendan signaled Buster Lee to follow him to the garden. Plucking a lemon from a tree, Brendan inhaled deeply and said, If only there was a way to make record buyers buy their records again, at full retail cost. You think I'm crazy, don't you? If anyone could do it, it was Uncle Brendan. He was one of the most influential producers in the music business. At 3 p.m., Buster Lee and the models, looking as delicious as hot fudge sundaes, piled in a van and headed to Zuma Beach. Buster Lee examined the European models carefully. Misha and Max, from Holland actually, were exotic. Their Nordic blonde hair, peachy skin, liquid black equatorial eyes, and high Indonesian cheekbones was evidence of Holland's expansive colonial past. After parking and setting up the blankets, umbrellas, and picnic baskets containing snacks they would never touch as models are obsessed with their BMI, Misha looked at Buster Lee and said, We love California because your president is from California. Removing a slice of lemon from his mouth, Misha said, We watch his speeches on TV. He elevates our natural, petty European attraction for socialism to a cosmological level. Nodding her head in agreement, Gia said, President Reagan makes it easy to neglect the whole communal living thing 
on the grounds that ordinary people aren't qualified to deal with high moral questions. And convenience really is the most important American value. I can't wait to see what it brings in the future. Europeans always look for one-size-fits-all solutions. After the war, we were told not to talk much and walk with our heads down. And Karma chimed in saying, that's why Europeans get in so much trouble. Standing up, removing her kimono and dusting off the sand, Portia said, enough of this nonsense talk. Let's swim, let's swim now. We'll swim forever. Every day, models do two things. They call their agent's assistance, and they nap. To a model, napping is a sacred act. While everyone waited for their turn on the phone, five minutes only, please, Portia asked Buster Lee if he would like to come to an Awareness Institute meeting. Awareness Institute, the fledgling replied. Being an American, you'll like, no? Buster Lee looked away and smiled weakly. Gia hugged Buster Lee and ran her fingers through his long, shaggy hair. You remind me of that actor from that show. In 1981, every actor under 25 had shaggy hair. Buster Lee didn't know who Gia was talking about. Meetings for the Awareness Institute group were staged four nights a week at Vine's Health Food Restaurant in Malibu Beach. Once all were seated and the lights dimmed, New Age music played. The host reminded everyone about dues, then introduced the guest speaker, Simon Ames from the Awareness Institute in San Francisco. Looking at a slide of the planet Earth floating against the blackness of space in what is the most spectacular photograph ever, Ames said, Going to space demonstrates that despite poverty, disease, and violence, we can aspire to something greater. In that spirit, Awareness Institute has created an initiative called No Empty Bellies. Unlike most Feed the World initiatives, however, No Empty Bellies aims to end hunger with exciting management systems as old as Henry Ford. It's as simple as generating 5,000% more annual donations, and I'm counting on each of you to make our dream a reality. Simon Ames babbled for another 10 minutes. Then, as abruptly as he started, he stopped. There was a smattering of applause. The lights came on, and that part of the meeting was over. Simon took to the microphone again. Those of you who booked for the audit session tonight, meet back here at 9 p.m. And remember, it's $25, cash only. After the boring meeting with the Awareness Institute group, the models went for a stroll on the beach. Coming from Florida, the beach meant zero to Buster Lee. Instead, with Beck at his side, Buster Lee ambled to the bookstore across the street and saw a guy who, like himself, had been at the Awareness Institute meeting. Carrying a new guitar case, the guy, wearing a buffalo plaid shirt and black jeans, around 25, said, Hey, I saw you at the meeting. I guess you heard that guy's speech the space shuttle and the bellies and the donations. Buster Lee nodded and heard something familiar about his voice. Leaning closer to Buster Lee, the stranger said, 
I'm Mason Grunwald. I'm a musician. I moved here eight months ago from Albany, where I live alone. Nice, said Buster Lee. Mason carried on. I'm in a band called The White Castle. Maybe you've heard of us? We were on The Cavett Show. We're big on college radio. We signed a record deal, and we're in L.A. making an album. Stopping to pat Beck's head, Mason continued. I read about the awareness people in a magazine. It's pretty interesting stuff. I heard Simon Ames on a radio talk show. He said scientists were working on a machine that made truth and lies indistinguishable. It wouldn't be ready for another 40 years, so I guess we're safe until then, right? Changing the topic, Mason said, My brother's working on the space shuttle, you know. He's at the Jet Propulsion Lab here. I'm staying at his place in Silver Lake. Because Mason wanted an intelligent response, Buster Lee automatically became a better version of himself. Whatever East Coast melancholy he felt vanished and was replaced by cheerfulness. Is this Blue Healer yours? said Mason. Buster Lee nodded. I thought so. Brushing the bangs from his eyes, Mason bent over and gave Beck a rub. Whoever this Mason was, he knew how to win over a miniature blue healer. That's for sure. In 1980, bookstores teeming with lonely young people were everywhere. You could walk into one, strike up a conversation, and if you were lucky, make a friend or go to their place to listen to records or whatever. If you watch movies from that time, there were so many bookstores, it's crazy. Then, as predicted, it started to rain. Buster Lee and Mason Grunwald sought shelter in Elliot's Books, a nothing fancy, poorly lit, but welcoming bookstore in Malibu run by a Dutch couple who were Marxists. Standing around the discount books table, Buster Lee picked up a copy of North Toward Home. I've heard it's good. It is, said Mason. But I have to talk to you about something important, a rumor about the space program. You know they're wrong, don't you? The shuttle will happen, but they're two years behind schedule. When it launches, they use a 1 16th size model. Two days later, a 747 with a paint job that makes it look like the space shuttle will land. No one is wiser. Everyone feels good. There's a rumor the whole thing is being directed by a big name from Hollywood. The guy who made the sci-fi movie about the monolith, the chimps, and the robot with the soft voice that killed. Heading to the fiction area, Buster Lee said, two movies, one screen, every time. It's good to live with a certain amount of ambiguity, don't you think, Mason? Before he joined the models across the street in the parking lot, Buster handed Mason a business card. It read, International Investigators, Number 1 West 72nd Street, New York. In the center of the card, it said, Buster Lee. And below this name, it said, we investigate anything. Results fast. When you get east, let's catch up, said Buster Lee. Mason smiled at Buster Lee and said, I'll look for you when I'm back in. Buster Lee stood on the sidewalk and peered at Mason as he vanished in the darkness. A week later, Buster Lee said goodbye to Laurel Canyon, Malibu, the health food restaurants, and the European models, Gia, Portia, Karma, Misha, Max, and his uncle Brendan, Britta, and last but not least, Hollis the butler. 
Once skyward, the twinkling lights of Los Angeles faded. Buster Lee pressed his nose against the window, fogging it up, and hugged back. In five hours, they would be home, back in Travistock or Manhattan, depending on how you measure such things. Arriving at number one West 72nd Street, Buster Lee saw his mama's new office for the first time. As the room's point of focus, covered in Egyptian iconography, was an enormous desk. Propped against the wall was a 10-foot sarcophagus from the Great Pyramid. With high ceilings, the walls were paneled in koa hardwood and stained black. Across from the desk was a large television permanently set to cable news. As he settled on the Chesterfield, Neely asked Buster Lee if he was going to watch the launch. Maybe, but I want to go to New Jersey. My stuff should be there, and I want to meet with Joan. Neely looked at her hands and said, Joan is a remarkable woman. You're lucky to have her as a landlady. As far as seeing the launch of the space shuttle, you've read Jules Verne. You're not missing anything. Los Angeles. At 4.30, Mason Grunwald crawled out of bed and stumbled into the living room of his older brother's rented house in Silver Lake. Wiping the sleep dust from his eyes, Mason listened as a newscaster made small talk with a former astronaut about the space program. Was it real? Or was it fake? Mason Grunwald was reminded of something Buster Lee said the night they met. It's good to live with a certain amount of ambiguity. Denouement. After arriving at his apartment in Travistock with Beck and unpacking their stuff, Buster Lee retreated to his lab and opened one of the dozens of his books on the history of space. Sitting at the table with Beck at his side, Buster Lee leafed through the tome. On page 141, he found a 1960 color picture of Belka and Strelka, the famous Russian dogs who were the first Earth-born creatures to go into orbit and return alive. Belka and Strelka, called Squirrel and Arrow in English, were no bigger than Beck. A year after the flight, Arrow found herself in a family way. One of the puppies was named Fluffy, a girl. In 1961, on his only trip to the United States, Russian leader Nikita Khrushchev gave Fluffy to President John F. Kennedy as a gift. Living in Washington, D.C., a romance bloomed between Fluffy and a boy dog owned by the Kennedys called Charlie. Put two and two together, and you can guess the rest. Learning this, Buster Lee closed the book and took Beck on a much-deserved long walk in the cool woods behind his house. About now would be a good time for you to say... You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersandpod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music.
The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org. 